Hi there. Thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order and then convene to talk about what they saw, looking at it from a couple different viewpoints, frames. We grew up with the show, never fell out of love with it, so we talk about how we experienced it as a young person, and then we talk about it as people who have talked about it for 25 years together, doing a deep dive analysis, looking at the structure and the intention of the writers, and also maybe every once in a while doing some borderline psychotic rationalization of all the various threads that could get thrown into this product made by a lot of people ostensibly to sell toys. My name is Jersey Joe's. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. And the other host is named Hoover. Here we are on part three of five phases of darkness. Everybody knows that they downloaded it. They got the thing on the screen that's telling them that's what this one is. But there I was saying it to underline it. The five part miniseries of the Transformers season three. Mm-hmm. We're kicking off season three with a five parter by Flint Dilly. And he was one half of the writing team of Prime Target. And he also wrote a little thing called Transformers the Movie. So pretty profoundly influential person on the Transformers franchise. Also, showrunner of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, and also Inhumanoids and Visionaries, right? So this dude was an important person at Sunbow. Yep. And this is Season 3, Episode 3 on Tubi. T-U-B-I dot TV. Click the little drop-down box. You'll see season three. We're on episode three if you want to go and watch it. Warning. Not a spoiler warning. Just a warning. It's tough to watch. We're not Mm -hmm. going to spend a lot of time talking about that. (laughs) But I think there's a lot to celebrate in this one regardless. So are you ready? You ready to dive in? I am ready. Where do we start? As we begin this middle sequence of the five-parter, If you're watching on Tubi, you might be a bit taken aback at the opening. They're showing a completely different intro before the episode. Well, it turns out, this was the intro used for the Five Faces of Darkness miniseries only. And I guess they accidentally slapped the regular Season 3 intro on the first two episodes. To be honest, I remembered this intro existing, but I thought, well, if Tubi doesn't show it, I'm not going to bother talking about it. Little did I know it would randomly come up on episode three. (laughs) I'm not going to do a shot-by-shot breakdown. I feel we kind of missed the boat on that. But I think it's just a smidge better than the regular season three intro myself. Mm. One thing in particular that it does much better than the regular season three intro is the Metroplex versus Trypticon scene. Yeah. But in general, it's just taking themes from this miniseries and condensing it down into 30-second intro. And it's weird that they thought this five-parter warranted its own intro for a week, only to be replaced with the regular season three intro with the sixth episode of the season. So I don't know what the thinking was exactly on that. Very odd. Yeah, I I do. The moment I saw it, I remembered, oh, that's right. And I remember encountering, so I must have seen Five Faces of Darkness when it aired. Or Mm -hmm. maybe I saw it in rerun because there was a year between season two and season three in terms of like Transformers movie falling in between. And I didn't see Transformers movie anyway, but I remember seeing this intro and finding it very exciting, especially because they did that thing where the Autobot Decepticon symbols like fly through the air a couple times, sort of like the mm-hmm. way they did in the beginning of the season two intro. Although I urge you not to compare this to the season two <laughs> intro. <laughs> 
Please don't. It's not fair. <laughs> We're firmly in the animation not being so great. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get harder and harder to talk about, and I have fewer and fewer screen caps with each one of these. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so lead us off. Where do we begin in the episode itself? Well, once we get to the episode proper, we once again get a lengthy recap of the first two episodes, complete with Victor Caroli narration and dialogue snippets. A full minute and a half. This brings us up to speed. The Quintessons have decided to blow up their planet Quintessa in order to destroy the Matrix of Leadership inside Rodimus Prime. Boy, that's hatred right there. <laughs> the thing I want to destroy is on my planet. Better get in a rocket so I can blow up the whole planet to take it out. So we see a giant explosion. Boy, is Rodimus dead again? <laughs> well, no, not yet anyway. Because the big Autobot shuttle that looked like Broadside escaped the planet before it blew up. Horribly, the shuttle is blown to smithereens in the resulting explosion, sending the Autobots and even their one Quintesson prisoner tumbling into space. Springer hopes someone has a plan. You figured a way out of this, or are we in big trouble? We're in big trouble. Relax, enjoy the ride. Rodimus's take on uncontrollably flying through space is certainly a unique one, but as we'll see, Rodimus has a unique take on a lot of things. Yeah, as he says that line, he literally puts his hands behind his head in like a laying down under a tree position and crosses his legs as he's floating through space. This, pay attention, everybody. I think this is the theme of the episode, is that Rodimus kind of isn't into the dignity of the leadership role. <laughs> <laughs> that is the point that is made with this character throughout this entire episode, and I don't think he contributes anything else to this particular <laughs> chapter of the story. It's all just him being like, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one scene come up at the end, but but most of it is him just sort of, sort of shrugging his way through the leadership position. And as I watch this carefully, I'm looking at it and saying like, oh, I, I have a lot of fond feelings for you. Not in this one. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're kind of like reverting back to, but even as Hot Rod, he was like, he was like super into being like the all-American boy to quote his text back, you know? Now it's just <laughs> like, eh, well, I had enough. I'm just going to float for a while. <laughs> well, then we cut away to the newest Decepticons as Cyclonus brings Galvatron up to speed on a space platform built as a defense post for Earth. The very notion makes Galvatron laugh, and he wants to see this for himself. So off he flies. This leaves Cyclonus to order the others to catch up. Quick sweep count, there's still six. I, I love that you're doing that. <laughs> I feel like you've got my back on this. Hoover's always going to count the sweeps, everybody. And he's going to, you know, touch the light switch six times before he walks out the door. <laughs> this is Hoover's OCD. One of the sweeps has an assessment of the situation. I think that plasma bath fried Galvatron's circuits. It's not your place to think. Where he leads, all Decepticons must follow. And then we see what Galvatron is headed towards. A warp gate. Which is just like a giant rectangle teleporty thing that they fly into. I guess maybe Flint Dilly realized that everyone zooming around from Cybertron to Earth all the time was a little unrealistic and is inventing technology to make it a shorter trip. 
This might be another way that they're aging up the series by slapping a future technology answer onto issues that they didn't even bother addressing at all in the past. Because <laughs> this is, after all, the same cartoon where the Autobots left the Ark and drove to Africa. Right. Yeah. I just took this as to be just general world building because I do remember as a child feeling like, wow, the universe is a lot more interconnected now than it felt like it was in season one and two. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot more commerce happening between all the different species, and the the miniseries even starts out with that with a, a galactic Olympics. Yeah. So right there, you have this sense that, okay, the the stage for our story is no longer just Earth and Cybertron; it's the whole universe now. So now we're going to learn more about how the actual commerce in the universe—commerce meaning like you know, not just not just exchanging of money, but exchanging of ideas and cultures and everything. That it, it needs some kind of freeway, and this is it. And you're right. It looks like actually, you know what it looks like? It looks like a visionary shield, like those staffs yeah. they carry. It looks <laughs> at the top of that, and then in the side of it is a glowing swirl, and you just like jump through it, and you come out another part of the galaxy. And later iterations of the Transformers cartoon kind of played with this idea and used space bridges this way too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we cut back to the drifting Autobots, where Ultra Magnus has done some calculations. I've computed our trajectory. We are due to impact with an object 200,000 kilometers away. What kind of object? Not enough data. It could be either a ship or a planet. Well, we'll either be saved or splattered. Again, Rodimus Shore has an interesting take on things. I certainly can't (laughs) imagine Optimus saying that. Yeah, yeah, I do remember hearing that line as a kid. And now, at this point, I wasn't super into Rodimus because I didn't know anything about him. I hadn't seen the movie Mm -hmm. yet. I just knew that this is the leader. And when he does the, I'm going to be saved or splattered, I was like, don't you care? (laughs) But I do like that. This I don't think we saw this earlier, but when the broadside-looking shuttle explodes, remember, they were saving Ultra Magnus, Cup, and Spike. And now they're floating in space, so did Spike asphyxiate? Nope. (laughs) <laughs> they had a little spacesuit ready. <laughs> I guess that was inside. And, and actually, you know what? I'm going to say because Silverbolt was, was ramrodding that operation, he thought of that. He thought of that because he's Silverbolt. And he said, like, hey, bring some spacesuits for humans. What? Why? Because we're saving human. Something bad happened. Oh, Silverbolt, you're so uptight. I know. And that's why Spike's alive. Thank you, Silverbolt. <laughs> well, we cut back to Galvatron and the gang, now emerging from this warp gate nearby the aforementioned Earth Defense Station. We see a handful of ships docking here, including Blur and Wheelie's spaceship. And here we are, and we're here, Earth's solar system, that's where here is. And if here was anyway, you think we would have seen some scenery on the way. But no, all we saw was white on black. No novas, no comets, no red dwarfs, no white giants. Alert, 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 alert. Now what? Beep, 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 alert, 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 that's what. Like I don't have enough frustration in my life without beep, 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 alert, alert, alert. Wow, Blur is <laughs> something else. Blur pays attention to the keyboard, not noticing the monitor showing him the incoming Decepticons. Wheelie asks Blur the odds of Galvatron being alive, and gets an answer essentially meaning no chance of that. So Wheelie takes Blur to know what he's talking about. Blur radios the defense station trying to source the reason for the ship's alarm, and they warn him that something exited the warp gate and it may be hostile. And it's only then that Blur looks up to see the Decepticons on the view screen. Galvatron! Galvatron! Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you say you saw Galvatron? Why do you fear? Can the dead be here? And just then, Galvatron fires on their ship, making it very obvious that he's alive and well. So, we've already led with 
a lot of talk about how the animation is really tough to watch. But one thing that's nice in this shot, there's there's a there's a handful of really nice shots. And just as Wheelie says, can the dead be here? On the screen, we see Galatron point his gun off to the side and fire. <laughs> and then, like, within a second, part of their ship explodes off to the left of the screen. Mm. So I thought that was nice, at least. It showed that, like, okay, we're getting a sense of the spatial relationship between them without actually doing, like, an establishing shot. You know, <laughs> he's nearby. He's, he's right mm -hmm. out there. They're not looking out a window, but he is close. So... I, I want to high-five them whenever I can. <laughs> Congratulations. You didn't fail miserably. <laughs> it's not a participation ribbon. But, you know, it is It is like, hey, that's that's not bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> Galvatron orders they attack, and the Decepticons open fire on the defense base, making short work of it, completely destroying the thing. The humans aboard are just blown out into space in their spacesuits, so no obvious casualties. One of the troopers of the stations radios back to Earth Command about the Decepticon attack, letting them know Outpost 1 has been destroyed. As he says it, he takes the full frame of the animation, and he's like pointing back at the space station as it gets blown up. But then he drifts off. He's like, Outpost 1 has been destroyed! And then he, like, he floats off. <laughs> so it, they didn't show the humans die, but even as a kid, I remember thinking, like, oh, they're drifting in space forever and ever. That's not good. And there was a lot of them all going in different directions. I don't think a rescue ship can come get them. Can it? So it, I received it as they're all dead. They all <laughs> slowly suffocated in their space suits because of what Galvatron did, which also ages up the show a little bit. We have seen the Decepticons shoot at the ceiling, shoot at the wall. Humans run funny, don't they? Kind of thing, right? Look out behind you, and then Skywarp scares them, and they run away. We've never seen <laughs> Skywarp go like up to a boat full of people <laughs> and shoot it up. As a matter of fact, using the boat full of people, the Stunticons are like, we're taking over this boat. They tie everybody up and put them <laughs> in the hold, you know? You know, like, shoot up the boat and make people fall to the water, you know? But this was, they literally just blew up a space station full of people. While we didn't see anybody burn, we saw <laughs> them all drift into space endlessly forever. So I'm counting that as on-screen death in Transformers now. I don't know. I think somebody from the EDC is just going to come through the warp gate and pick them all up. Well, I, well, to use your language, let's put a pin in that. Because <laughs> somebody from the EDC, I think, is going to get sent... Not to help the humans. <laughs> well, Galvatron continues the attack, moving on to the ships fleeing the outpost's destruction. He's able to take out one, but sees an Autobot ship, Blur and Wheelies, still getting away. So they give chase. Blur gets the idea to lose them at Jupiter, which results in a confused retort from Wheelie. The planet Jupiter, the giant gas planet up ahead, you know, you know, you know, you know the one I mean, don't you, don't you? Planet I know, but Decepticons follow! <laughs> what? What What was that? Wheelie has sounded the same this whole episode, and then that line happens. Planet I know, but Decepticons follow! Is this even Frank Walker? <laughs> it's definitely not electronically processed like all of Wheelie's lines usually are. That really sticks out. I want to say that it is Wally Burr. <laughs> that's, that's who filled in all those other times. So I'm saying it. it's canon. Boom. Wally Burr did Willie's voice. <laughs> hey, gang. Future Hoover here. 
I took the file into Audacity and I kind of played around with it, slowed it down to try to see if I could figure out whether that actually is Frank Wilker doing that line. And I think it is because when you slow it down a little, it sounds like his Freddy voice from Scooby-Doo a little bit. So I think whenever Wheelie sounds weird in this episode, they just didn't put the proper effects on the voice and it's still Frank Welker doing it. But I slowed it down and changed it around a little bit in Audacity. So listen to this and see what you think. But I think it probably is Frank Welker. Not it, I know, but Decepticons follow! Anyway, so they're trying to get to Jupiter to lose the Decepticons. But Galvatron manages to shoot them from back and orders the Decepticons after the out-of-control craft. So as the, as the ship spins out of control towards Jupiter, we see one of Jupiter's moons in the foreground, too. So implying that, okay, something might happen here, too. And it just got me thinking as I was rewatching this that, like, wouldn't it have been something if instead of Jupiter, it was Saturn? And in, mm. instead of the moon that we're going to talk about later, it's Titan. And how cool would it have felt to revisit Talaria and her people from the God Gambit just for like one little scene in this. Not for a cameo, but actually like bring them in. If if there's intergalactic, interplanetary commerce happening all over the place now, how come we haven't seen anybody from Titan, right? I know they didn't have rocket ships, but people could go there. Jazz might be like, oh, I miss my friend. I'm going to go back. But how cool would it be, even if knowing that we can't have Jazz back, what if they just landed there and they ran into those people? They don't even have to like hang a lampshade on it. Just have them walk out with all those funny costumes that they wore. And, and <laughs> we as, as loyal fans, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to do fan service all the time, but it's not fan service. It would just feel like continuity and, and wholeness. And it wouldn't feel like you're just constantly inventing on top of something, but you're like constantly going back and sort of nourishing the thing too. But, <laughs> oh well, that's the, that's the parallel universe that I'll never get to experience. Also, <laughs> can we talk about how Galvatron is acting? throughout this scene because he's I, I want to say he's decidedly less insane and he feels more like he's kind of acting out this noble kind of regal character i think what they're going for is that not necessarily that he's insane all the time but just that he's unpredictable and wild and he can of course be insane but he can I also see. be rational it's, it's very much like an almost bipolar type situation where there's almost like two different personalities involved. Mm. Maybe because he's sort of two people. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, it could be. It could be like, yeah, dissociated disorder. But also I do notice that whatever inflection he's exploring in his personality, it's always grandiose in a way that Megatron wasn't. Megatron was arrogant, for sure. But he mm -hmm. was, I would never call him grandiose. Megatron, as a matter of fact, that was like the foil that Starscream played to him. Starscream was like all of Megatron's ambition and control, lust for power, but with, you know, a big purple cape. <laughs> <laughs> Starscream wanted to make an entrance. Megatron doesn't care about making an entrance except to smash through a wall or something. <laughs> but... This Galvatron feels very, I don't want to say flamboyant, but he does feel grandiose in the way he's talking to the Decepticons. And, and throughout this whole episode, that was the, the recurring theme I noticed with him. Come, Decepticons, we have an empire to regain! <laughs> Megatron wouldn't say that, you know? So he is, he is still different, even though he's not acting wacky anymore. <laughs> Then we cut away to Earth, where we hear a familiar voice in Autobot City. Good morning, good morning. 
Pow Blaster radioing the next planet over. And who answers the call? Blaster, this is EDC Captain Marissa Fairborn. I'm tracking an Autobot shuttle with several Decepticon fighters in pursuit. Now, who's this? Well, this is a human from the Earth Defense Corps, Captain Marissa Fairborn. Hmm. Hmm, Fairborn. That name sounds familiar from somewhere. That's right. <laughs> this is a new recurring character voiced by Susan Blue, who also does the voice of RC. And we'll see quite a bit of her this season. At Blaster's urging, she takes off from Mars in a ship of her own, ready to head off the Decepticons. Gosh, I guess you can make it from Pluto, where they said the warp gate exit was, to Earth in, like, just a few minutes. Hmm, if only we could have afforded another guest appearance from the author of <laughs> Science Comics Rockets. I haven't done the calculation on how fast she would have to be going, but if <laughs> she was going near the speed of light, yes, time dilation would take effect, and she would get there, and it would have been three weeks later. <laughs> so for her, the trip would have been instantaneous, but for everybody else, it would be like, well, they're all gone because time moves different when you move that fast. So, yeah, but again, we are still talking about a cartoon where Optimus <laughs> said, let's drive to Antarctica or, or let's drive to the Arctic. And it was like the emblems flash on the screen. And it's like, here we are, the Northern Lights. Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> I'm wearing the same clothes as when we left. <laughs> The lyrics to the scene transition should be, don't ask too many questions. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's literally doing a sleight of hand, like, don't look over there. <laughs> look over here. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Somehow they got there. I don't know. Do you know? So, yeah. Even, I, I guess there's warp gates in between. Yeah, that's it. That's it. There's like seven warp gates in between. She went boop, 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 and she's there. Anyway, the Decepticons are in pursuit of Blur and Wheelie. And Wheelie thinks that the only escape is grabbing the transformation cog and ejecting from the ship. This leaves Blair no choice but to do the same. Apparently, Wheelie's seen the earlier parts of this episode and knows that <laughs> Autobots just drift comfortably in space outside of a ship. And Wheelie got it on good authority from Rodimus, what Galvatron does to Autobot ships. <laughs> he flies up behind <laughs> them and blows them up, so get out as soon as you can. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it feels to me like Flint Dilly is trying to write like a comedy duo vibe between these two throughout this episode. With Blur being the uptight one, you know, mm. this is another fine mess you've gotten us into. And Wheelie being the more, mm, what would I say, impish one of the two mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. The somewhat wiser one, but yet impish at the same time. Because the, as Wheelie ejects, Blur does this whole like, oh, you never listen, do you? And then he ejects too. So I can't say, I can't point to any one comedy duo that it feels like he's echoing with them, but it just feels like he's going for that style of mm -hmm. character interaction. And I only underline it because we're really not getting that in many other places. I, think, I feel like there's a little bit of that with RC and Springer when they took control of the Rockeroid a little bit, mm -hmm. but maybe it was edited poorly. I don't know, but it just, it didn't feel like it came across. It just felt like they were both just like two sarcastic people in a car. Whereas this, it feels like there's much more difference between the personalities. So, well, Naturally, not having seen the Autobots eject, Galvatron transforms and blasts the ship and watches it explode. But Blair and Wheelie are already tumbling through space. Now tell me how we're supposed to get to Earth without a ship, and how we're supposed to survive that! And if you're wondering what exactly the that is that Blair wants to know how to survive, um, it's pink clouds. <laughs> I guess they're falling towards Jupiter and they're surrounded by pink clouds. I, again, the animation 
is trying to cash a check it can't afford. <laughs> I always mess up that expression. <laughs> and I'm pushing up the ceiling, Hoover. I'm pushing up the ceiling because I'm so happy. <laughs> no, I, I, I assumed ever since I was a child that this is Jupiter's great red spot that they're in, right? The giant red storm cloud on Jupiter. But you're right. It's a bunch of airbrushed pink clouds. It looks like they're going to run into Fluttershy any second. <laughs> Will Wheelie and Blur survive the pink clouds? I know we've dealt with some weak cliffhangers before, but pink clouds might just take the cake at our commercial break. <laughs> oh no! Wheelie's way of talking is rubbed off on me. <laughs> Quick, let's get to the commercials in time so I can stop with the rhyme. Ah, dang it! <laughs> you have a problem! Well, speaking of dangerous pink things, how about these commercials all featuring an excessive amount of pink? Like Jewel Secrets Barbie. We girls can do anything, right, Barbie? It's Ken and Jewel Secrets Barbie with three fabulous secrets. We girls love lots of jewels to wear, right, Barbie? Jewel Secrets Barbie. Jewel Secrets. Step out of that gown for a night on the town. Jewel secret. Just right for a disco night. Barbie has one more secret. Her ball gown is a purse for you. Jewel Secrets Barbie doll has three dazzling looks with matching play jewels. Ken dolls it separately for Mattel. My favorite part is when the narrator whispers three fabulous secrets. <laughs> <laughs> now... I do a microcast on my Patreon called Fabulous Secrets, which actually uses <laughs> the He-Man and She-Ra lines from their intros where they say, Fabulous Secret Powers are revealed to me. So what was it about those words? Fabulous Secrets, right? <laughs> I guess Fabulous was like a commonly thrown around slang back then, maybe. Did people say Fabulous a lot? I, I want to say they did. I want to say they did. I don't know. I don't know. I was just a kid. and I, I mean, For me, the, the big slang was decent. Oh, that's so decent. <laughs> Which I, I, I later have learned wasn't widely used. That just shows how, how uh, you know, provincial my upbringing was. That all of us were just saying decent in this little tiny hamlet. But anyway, I, I don't know why Fabulous Secrets is like that, like is evocative for a six-year-old in 1985. But there it is. So, oh, and also her, her dress turns into a purse for you. <laughs> <laughs> Or how about Starburst She-Ra and Crystal Swiftwind? Oh, Swiftwind, you're crystal clear and more beautiful than ever. Crystal Swiftwind, Starburst She-Ra, and Catradog, each sold separately. Now, your beautiful wings and magic horns. I want Crystal Swiftwind. My dazzling Starburst cape will stop you from shining again. I think Catra has seen the light. Starburst, she and Crystal Swiftwind each sold separately. New from the Princess of Power collection. Captor also sold separately. I don't know about you, but if my horse turned translucent, I'd be taking him to the vet. <laughs> my favorite thing about this commercial is Captor just like turns the course like, I want your horse. <laughs> That's her whole thing. Does she want to defeat She-Ra? Does she want to conquer Etheria? No, I want your horse. Give me. It's like two six-year-olds in the playground. I like your see-through horse. Give me. Well, I guess maybe. Okay. I guess I could like infer. She wants the see-through horse because then she can go rob banks with her invisible horse. There we go. It's a means <laughs> to an end. Or how about the Care Bear cousins like the very pink Lots of Heart elephant? Mm. In the forest of feelings, kids find the dozens. 
Love to play with the Care Bear cousins. Cozy Heart Penguin greets you with a wave. And Brave Heart Lion is mighty and brave. Swift Heart Rabbit is a speedy sport. Lots of Heart Elephant is very strong. Bright Heart Raccoon is hardly ever wrong. Each sold separately. Now get a $3 rebate on all 13-inch Care Bears. Boy, now we can get a $3 rebate on all 13-inch Care Bears. But not the 6-inch ones. Wah, wah. $3 is, that's not nothing in 1985. That's a whole G.I. Joe figure. <laughs> Actually, it is. So think about that, everybody. When you're spending fifteen dollars on your Star Wars figure, you know <laughs> that would that would have been a fifteen dollar rebate on a thirteen inch Care Bear, which would have cost sixty dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> Inflation. Am I right? <laughs> Actually, I saw that there's new Care Bears out in stores now, and they were, I thought, very affordable. I think it was like twelve dollars for a Care Bear. And I thought, how come they're not way expensive? There must be something bad in the way they're made. That's all <laughs> I can conclude. I don't know, but they look cute. Are you going to buy anything this commercial break? Oh, that's right. That is that is the custom that you take me shopping. I'm supposed to buy things. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm actually I'm going to get Jewel Secrets Barbie one because <laughs> Fabulous Secrets makes me excited. I want to know what the Fabulous Secrets are. Oh, it's the Jewel changes color. Well, that's the Fabulous Secret. Huh? Okay. <laughs> And it's not it doesn't change color when I touch it, like like a, a mood ring thing. It it changes color when I turn a dial. Okay, but I like the idea of the purse because I think that I actually did a talk uh, in in my public speaking class in I think eighth grade where I was arguing why it was stupid that men couldn't carry a purse because we got stuff to carry too. And <laughs> I was I was I was making the case like I want to bring art supplies with me wherever I go. I was in a very rural community. They were like, no, men don't do that. You just have a wallet. That's it. I'm like, I've seen, I've seen my dad's wall. It's like eight inches thick. We should put it in a purse. He's wrecking his posture. <laughs> anyway, so I'm getting it for that. I want a sparkly bag to put my art supplies in. Two, I'm getting see-through horse because it's really cool. I like the idea of things that are see-through, <laughs> things that change color, things that also smell. Any, any toy that does those kind of weird things, I'm into. But, oh, I care for cousin, it's animals. Yeah, I, you got me. I'm getting all three. I'm going <laughs> to get Braveheart Lion because he's brave. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for that. So, yep, I got all three, Hoover. Thank you. <laughs> well, we come back to our pair of Autobots flying through pink clouds. And if pink clouds aren't bad enough, the Decepticons notice they ejected from the ship and are hot on their tails. The very first frame when we come back from commercial break is actually it's pretty an ambitious shot as Blur and Wheelie sort of fly over our heads and diminish in perspective really rapidly. There's a lot of forced perspective in the way this is drawn, and animating that is no small thing. So, once again, high five. It's not a participation trophy. You did something. It looks pretty good. Good job, Acom. <laughs> Cyclonus praises Galvatron for the imminent destruction of the Autobots, but for Galvatron, imminent destruction just isn't enough. He wants the Autobots' heads, he states. He takes another shot at the tumbling duo and actually hits Wheelie. Somehow not blown into a million pieces, Wheelie has a retort. Galvatron is strong, but Wheelie is mean! Wheelie returns fire, hitting a sweep in the face. <laughs> you don't mess with the wild boy of Quintesson. The sweep goes tumbling backwards. Save me! 
whiners. And the sweep goes tumbling back through the pink clouds. There will be no assistance from Galvatron. Now, again, I was 13 when I watched this, so I was I was entering that age where I thought it'd be really cool if there was a Batman story where he murdered people. <laughs> so I, I might have been a little extra receptive to this idea, but I do remember watching this moment as a kid and thinking like, oh my gosh, I just watched a Decepticon die on camera. There's <laughs> death in Transformers now. This is so grown up, you know. <laughs> Remember, I hadn't seen the movie yet, everybody. I know we talked about that in the movie. And yes, I, I got, you know, sort of like a sugar rush from watching all of that murder when I was a child. <laughs> I don't, I, let, let me just underline this and put an asterisk, editor's note. I don't think murder's cool. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> As a matter of fact. Hot take. Yeah, yeah, hot take. It's, it's literally one of the worst things you can do. <laughs> but when I was 13, I had zero contact with that idea. All I knew was it felt transgressive. It felt like a Def Leppard album cover when you say <laughs> death out loud. So when this happened and a sweep fell to their death and Galvatron was like, yeah, <laughs> that for you, pal. I was like, man, this feels so adult. But that's how 13-year-olds think of adulthood sometimes. So. <laughs> What Galvatron does do is transform and take another shot at the pair of Autobots. And this results in something? <laughs> it results in a confusing scene is what it results in. Galvatron's blast goes past the two Autobots and through the never-ending pink clouds and hits something? <laughs> it seems to result in an explosion which sends shockwaves back towards the Autobots as Blair says, The storm is imploding! The storm is imploding? I guess beneath all the clouds was a storm? I may not have written Science Comics Rockets, but I do know that Jupiter's famous spot is actually a storm, so I guess Galvatron fired his energy blast onto the storm, which set off a chain reaction or implosion or something violent? Again, the animation is having a lot of trouble covering these checks that Flint Daly's writing. <laughs> That's how you but say But okay. Big imploding storm. I'll take Blair's word for it. <laughs> I have never understood this scene. <laughs> like, like I want Galvatron to come over when it's like, oh, there's a ball game at seven, but there's they said there's gonna be scattered thunderstorms. Galvatron, pew pew pew, shoots the sky. The clouds disappear. They're gone. He killed the clouds, or he makes them explode into like a bigger storm. I don't know, but like. What I think Flint Dilly's doing here is following the same sort of structure and approach that all the G.I. Joe miniseries followed in that send everybody off in individual quests so you get to have these little buddy stories. And while you're at it, make sure you go to some really wild locations, right? So you got the Palace of Doom, the Island of No Return, the Roof of the World, right? The, the, is it the Devil's Playpen? Wasn't that one of them? <laughs> <laughs> the Devil's Cauldron? I can't remember. So he's he's doing that in this too, and he did it in Transformers the movie, right? Like we went to the Planet of Junk, we went to Quintessa, we went to all these wild places, and like taking characters out of their familiar space and having them have an adventure in this unfamiliar dreamlike space. I've been celebrating that for a while now. I feel like they're doing it here. It's a big pink, weird, scary place, but you're right. It looks like they're floating in cotton candy with a couple of laser effects on it. <laughs> <laughs> And we only have the descriptions to know that there's danger. The storm is imploding. I don't know what that means. The storm is imploding? Mm -hmm. Turning into a singularity? Uh, like a <laughs> rain singularity? 
So, but all we know is it's just, it's exotic. It's weird. It's there's something bananas happening around them and it looks a little bit pink and psychedelic at the same time. But yeah, you're right. I I've never understood exactly what happened in this scene. (laughs) I, but I just pointing back to that structural thing to say like, I think it has to do with that, but it just feels like somehow this episode feels like it's a regression episode two of the miniseries. We were like, yeah, this feels like it's getting better. It's kind of coming into focus. And this one feels like it's a step back where there's a lot of things that are way out of focus that I don't understand. (laughs) So, Well, we see Blair and Wheelie take the brunt of the blast. And when this happens, they're both shouting, no, but Mm -hmm. there's a voice pitched down and slowed down here. I don't know if they were trying to pitch up Wheelie's voice and accidentally went down or what, but <laughs> things got surreal real fast. Take a listen. <laughs> so, yeah, big shoulder shrug for me on that. <laughs> I, I think it's a ghost. There's a ghost in the, in the storm that was supposed to do... <laughs> Well, this terrible reaction to the storm is affecting the sweeps and cyclonus as well. This is blowing out my audio sensors! It's torture! <laughs> no, no! It's music! The symphony of destruction and the anthem of agony! So here's another example of something you'd think would hurt Galvatron, but instead he merely laughs in its face. Do you get it, kids? He's super powerful. Throw him in molten lava. Does he melt? No, he finds it a relaxing bath. (laughs) Put him in the center of an imploding storm, doing a number on his troops. He laughs. Cyclonus points out the storm cone is about to erupt, and the Decepticons find themselves bathed in another blast as Galvatron just smiles. So even hearing your description, I think this looks pretty cool, right? They're all getting knocked back, and Galvatron's standing there being like, yeah, bring it on. Hit me with all you got, Storm. <sighs> and then you see the image in the episode, and he looks awkward. It looks like you, you, you stopped at the side of the road to ask him for directions to Montana, <laughs> and he's like sort of gently pointing to the right. <laughs> like, it's that way. Like His smile doesn't look like sadistic, maniacal, or triumphant or anything. He's just like, oh, it's over there, friend. He, he, looks, he looks pleasant. <laughs> As all the Decepticons are behind him, and you can sort of see that they're tumbling back, but they're not moving. They're not moving, Hoover. They're just standing there in this pose that says, I'm tumbling. Uh, I, I, I know we're not going to bag on the animation too much, but it's like I couldn't help. But when I read your description, I was like, gosh, that, that would look so cool if it was in season one animation. Yeah. And then we cut away to the Quintessons, whom we haven't seen all episode. They blew up their planet and made away in their spinning ship, not noticing the Autobots escaped. How pleasant the feeling to know the Autobots and their matrix of leadership have been destroyed. I could watch it over and over again. It is a day so long in coming that I am uncertain how to celebrate it. Perhaps a quiet chuckle. Very well then, let us chuckle. <laughs> this is this is the killer line of the whole episode. This is the best moment yeah. in the entire episode, if not the miniseries. Because yeah, it's it sums them up perfectly as a species. How pleasant the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> How pleasant the, can you imagine if you talked like a quintesson? <laughs> 
I remember I remember years ago I was doing a customer service job. I was very young, and a young kid came in and bought something from the place and then came up and, they, and then said afterwards to me, your service was adequate. And I remember thinking, like, what a strange thing to say to me. <laughs> <laughs> that kid, I think, was part Quintesson. How pleasant the feeling to know that their lead <laughs> matrix has been destroyed. Let us chuckle. <laughs> so this, I think, I wonder if Funk Dilly is conjuring the idea of, like, the guys in the old gentleman's club in, like, the 1930s. You know, silence <laughs> must be observed at all times. We don't express any of our feelings ever. Like, it's, I wonder how much it is, like, a, a stereotype of, like, the British colonialist, right? <laughs> the, 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 the former empire owners, who, you know, stiff upper lip, don't express too much of yourself. Oh, what should we do to celebrate? Well, let us chuckle. You know, I don't know how much <laughs> of that was an influence of this, but it's a brilliant scene. I love it. And I wish there was more of that with these guys. <laughs> but then an alarm goes off in their ship, and the monitor shows them that the Autobots are alive, floating through space. <laughs> yeah, through that convenient Sunbow camera that always shows up just outside of the thing <laughs> that they need to see. <laughs> which we've talked about before. <laughs> and the Autobots are heading towards something called goo number 8739B. And this will not do. Then we have no choice. We must acquire the sheer might to wipe them out once and for all. But there is only one way. Precisely, however grave the risk, we must form an alliance with the Decepticons. Boy, these Quintessons really want the Autobots gone. Now, speaking of the Autobots, it seems they've finally reached goo number 8739B, which is yet another weird planetoid. So describe it, Jersey. Hmm, how to describe it? So, if you took a Paramecium, it made it the size of, like, say, the moon and just had it, like, hanging out in space. It's got, like, the flagellum or whatever, those little, like, tendrils that, that go off the end of it. It's, like, flapping around. And it, it looks like it's made of mud and it's got a bunch of junk stuck in it. But attached to the top of the paramecium, it's, like, one of its long sides, looks like a 1970s version of a space station. It's, like, a round orb with, like, a bunch of what would you call them? Like little buildings jutting out of some of the sides of the orb and yeah. one giant, what looks like what could be a conveyor belt coming from the muddy surface up into the orb. And at the bottom of the orb is an open port port or a pore. And out of that is coming some more mechanical conduit of some sort. Not one end of the, of the paramecium flagellum is what looks like maybe a small moon with more, structure built off of it that look like two like kind of cockeyed skyscrapers <laughs> so it's a screwy looking planet and i love it i love this this story is full of all of these really weird exotic places ah, it's just it's a, it's a shame that the story's so hard to watch and, and and the painting the establishing shot painting is not super awesome but it's it's still it's imaginative I've, this 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 feels once again like we're in the realm of dream, the absurdity of dream, right? Mm -hmm. And dream is, is, is this place where our brain has this sort of theater of visual language with us to talk about how we're processing ideas. And weird stuff happens in dreams because of that. So I like that aspect too. Like it just feels nightmarish, dreamlike, and it feels like we're in high fantasy when we see this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we get to what happens. Well, Rodimus lands back first and sticks to the surface a bit before pulling himself up. 
The aptly named Goo number 8739B seems to have a consistency somewhere between peanut butter and superglue gel. Which I feel like is very appropriate to the audience in that Spike actually says, I used to stick stuff like this under my seat at school. Mm-hmm. You know? And also, this was the, the high era of GAC, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters, he slimed me. Everything was slime and GAC and goo, so... The fact that it is a goo planet, I don't know what function it serves. We're going to dig into that a little bit. But it feels like it's really, it's been designed for a 9 to 12 year old to (laughs) think is cool, right? Well, everyone lands on the sticky surface, including their captured Quintesson. Cup lifts one of his faces out of the goo, but once it starts to just rant and rave, Cup throws it back in the muck. Well, it ain't an oil bath, but all things considered, it could be worse. And then as if on cue, we see a giant ship traveling along on this planetoid, sucking up the goo like a vacuum cleaner. Silverbolt tries to transform and reconnoiter, but he can't break free of the goo and fly away. Everyone notices they can move through the goo, but not break free of it. And after getting a closer look at the approaching ship, it appears to be a janitorial system leading Springer to exclaim that it might think that they're the trash. Yeah, the thing is, like, it's like this, it looks like a city that's, like, floating in the air, and it's got this giant port at the bottom of it. It's sucking all the goo into it, and then as the camera pans along the side, we see there's windows on it. I don't know why. The the, the windows show that there's burning happening inside, and then out of the back is coming this black cloud of smoke. So it's sucking all this stuff up, and it's incinerating it somehow. Now, if we get back up to that statement about the Quintesson face, because this also threw me for a loop as a kid, never understood it my entire life, every time I watch this. When they fall into the planet goo, we literally see a frame where the Quintesson falls down, and it's just the death face. There's no, the rest of the Quintesson is gone. Mm-hmm. It's not drawn. It's just the death face that falls down. And then, as you pointed out, Cup pulls it out of the goo, and it, and it complains a little bit, and Cup throws it back in the goo. So, what happened to the Quintesson? <laughs> Good question. Is this what uh, the stinger for don't ask too many questions? <laughs> <laughs> don't think too hard. It's season three. It probably doesn't even make sense. Stop asking questions. It's just the <laughs> Quintesson face. Dun, dun. <laughs> Also, I don't know if you noticed that there's a couple lines where Rodimus is speaking with that other voice actor's voice here. Yeah, and, and it's really weird because it'll be one line from the old voice actor and then the subsequent line from the new one. So that's yeah. very unusual. Yeah, this this whole episode just feels really <laughs> cho- choppy, wonky, and like, whew. It, it, it's like, get it, get it done. Get it out the door. But it's not done yet. I don't care. It's due. <laughs> Well, we cut back to Galvatron and his bunch dealing with a storm on Jupiter. Galvatron laughs as the pair of Autobots are expelled out of Jupiter by the crazy effects of the storm. They rocket through space and crash down on what I assume is one of Jupiter's moons, where they're knocked unconscious. And the Decepticons similarly fly out into space away from Jupiter, and as Galvatron joins the others, Cyclonus asks the wrong question. Mighty Galvatron, where are the Autobots heads? What does that matter? Their destruction is assured. Take me to Tar! 
Galvatron punches his lieutenant and decides eh, he doesn't need their heads after all. Close enough. There's other stuff to do on Char. And also, he uses Cyclonus's own words at him. Cyclonus says earlier in the episode, ah, their destruction is assured. And then Galvatron's like, that's not good enough for me. I want their heads. So then he comes back and he's like, oh, where are their heads? Their destruction is assured. Shut up. What a <laughs> jerk Galvatron is. Bad boss. Because, I mean, on top of it, Cyclonus probably wasn't doing it to one-up him. He was just like, oh, but you said, and I believe right. you. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm confused. Tell me what happened. <laughs> and he gets, a, he gets a fist in the face for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Abusive dad. So they go off, and we cut back to the Autobots literally stuck on goo as the big janitorial ship draws closer and closer. Rodimus has the Autobots fire on the ship, but their lasers have little effect. Springer tries to transform to his helicopter mode to get free, but he just can't break free of the goo. The ship shines a spotlight on the struggling Autobot, seeing something needing attention. The others try to make their way to their friend, but the janitorial ship gets to Springer and sucks him up like a vacuum cleaner. As the Autobots witness the apparent death of their friend, R.C. screams. And we go to our second commercial break. Oof. So we've maybe just witnessed the death of yet another Autobot. And you know what? Since it's Springer, I'm not feeling too sad about this one. (laughs) Well, if it had to be somebody. (laughs) There's his eulogy by Hoover. Springer, he was green. He was green. And he's not with us anymore. All right. Time to get back to work. Since Springer might be gone, let's watch some commercials to audition a new green ally for the Autobots. Oh. How about we just replace Springer with a G.I. Joe Havoc? Oh. Nothing's too tough for Havoc. Nothing's too rough for Havoc. That's true. This is the new G.I. Joe Havoc. Nothing's too tough for Havoc. Nothing's too rough for Havoc. Look, Cobra Ferrets! Yo, Joe! Cobra's got two much more than Havoc when Havoc's on the go. Cause out of Havoc comes a big surprise that gives more firepower to G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Live the adventure of G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe Havoc comes with driver, other Joe and Cobra figures and equipment sold separately. And it's got a surprise. It's got a, It's got one fabulous secret in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the Havoc, as G.I. Joe vehicles went, I mean, it's it's a silly-looking vehicle as I look at it now compared to, like, when you look at, like, the Mobat or the Bridge Lair or or even, like, the Awe Striker, right? But I got to say, as a kid, I thought that that little hovercraft that comes out of the back, pretty darn cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny that they put Lifeline back there because I know what he would do is he would be like, all right, everybody, please stop fighting. He wouldn't actually use it to... <laughs> He would just fly by them. No, that's bad what you're doing. Please don't do that. <laughs> Is anyone injured down there? <laughs> do we need help? But also I noticed that in the commercial, they, they did that thing that you were uh, pointing out last episode in the rescue on Quintessa. Is They, they put like 12 G.I. Joe figures on that vehicle. <laughs> so the kids like making it flop around. You can see the Joe's just about to fall off of all their battle pegs. But yeah, I, I, I don't understand that premise of the G.I. Joe vehicles where it's like, <laughs> You know, it's like, hey, you want to you want to go to the Quiet Riot concert? Yeah, everybody jump on the side of my truck. <laughs> Here we go. <sighs> so yeah, I'll I'll get it because it's got a hovercraft. That's neat. 
Or maybe we just need to replace a machine with a man and machine, like Max Ray of the Centurions. They have about the same color scheme going on, so That's why not? That's true. Centurions! Power Extreme! And Machine! Evil Doc Terror and Strafer Attack. Max Ray calls Depth Charger. Energize! Torpedo! Thrusters! Canopy Down! Dive! The Villains Trap Max! Energize! Mode 2! Hydromine! Missiles! Speed Strikes! Attack! Centurions! Power Extreme! Man Machine! And you can put missiles on them and mines on them and guns on them. And my gosh, there's like Max Ray has 90 ways to kill you. And yet he still looks so pleasant. How come? That makes it even scarier. I don't know, Hoover. I, I'm still not sold on these Centurions. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a mustache, so it'll fit right in with all these other season three characters. <laughs> That's true. I guess. Yeah, you're right. There we go. Okay. Yeah, you did it. So they'll just stand <laughs> right next to, to Scourge. They can talk about, you know, facial hair grooming techniques. <laughs> well, personally, I'm not missing Springer any. And this planet of goo has me thinking, well, how about we just replace him with the slime from the Masters of the Universe slime pit? Ooh. Now, Hordak reveals the most gruesome trap ever. The Horde slime pit. The what? The slime pit. Now, Spike, or you're my slave. Not the slime. Yes, my slime will overpower you. I've been slime. No one escapes the evil Horde slime pit. I like the slime a lot more, but then again, Springer won't ruin the carpet if you spill him. Now, you know, we were talking recently about how color change toys don't seem to be around anymore. They don't make mm -hmm. them. And you, you, you had the hypothesis that maybe they were very toxic, which is entirely <laughs> possible, right? It's like everything made before 1971 is actually made of poison, <laughs> to, to be perfectly honest. And then it's like it just got a little bit better after that. But slime never went away. Like slime yeah. is still a thing like kids can get. Why did mm -hmm. that persist? Because you're right, that could ruin your stuff. <laughs> but but color change stuff and scratch and sniff stickers and hologram stickers, nowhere to be found. What does slime got that hologram stickers don't? I want to know. I want a documentary on Netflix about this, please, and thank you. So, But yeah, I, barfing skeleton to make different He-Man characters slaves of Hordak, I'm in. So I will take that. Thank you very much. Fluorescent green slime, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I bought six things this episode, Hoover. <laughs> well, as we come back, we see Springer again be sucked into the giant machine, and he is spat out the back in pieces. But there's no time for mourning, as the giant ship then turns its spotlight on Rodimus, its next intended victim. There's, there's another Rodimus line here, where they're really <laughs> telegraphing how he's not Optimus Prime. And... <laughs> When they see Springer get ripped to pieces and we just see his parts on a conveyor belt getting dumped into like a, you know, a dumpster, you hear Rodimus go, gross, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need a recurring segment each episode called That's So Rodimus. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine if one of your friends got run over by a car and another friend stand next to you? You're like, gross. <laughs> Because that is the presumption here, is that they're friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rodimus. I, 
you're kind of you're defying me to love you in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, now let's catch up with the Quintessons, who have arrived on Char ahead of Galvatron and his troops. The Decepticons are hungry and thus highly susceptible to persuasion. Exercise caution. Feed them only enough to make them hungrier still. The Quintessons exit their craft with Energon cubes and call out to the Decepticons, saying they come in peace. But there's no Decepticons in sight. Turns out a handful of them, Blitzwing, Dead End, Breakdown, Motormaster, and Wildrider, are sitting in a sort of underground cave below the surface. Now here's an interesting take on Trapped in a Cave. What's Blitzwing doing? Trying to take Dragstrip's place in the Stunicons, maybe? The suspicious Decepticons are listening to the offers of these strange creatures, but not so eager to just trust them. They want to make a deal with us. One of us has to go out there. What does it matter if I meet my fate now, or when my circuits fail? So it's our favorite dead end who climbs up out of the ground to face these strangers. He kowtows to them. Please, make my death painless! We have not come to kill you. We have come to offer you a proposition. Swindle, I, I think this is your department. Without even climbing up to the surface, Swindle gives Dead End <laughs> some instructions from the cave below. Yeah, we actually just see the cave hole and we hear. <laughs> First, see if we can trust him. Taste one of the Energon cubes. Dead End steps forward and has a bite. He has a bite. Hoover, he has a bite. Let's not forget the construction of Dead End's face. He's got the Optimus Prime shield on his mouth, right? <laughs> but I screen capped it, and we see the Optimus Prime mouth drop down, and his mouth touches his nose, I guess, because there's a big black line where, like, touching <laughs> the bottom of his nose and the, the top of his Optimus Prime mouth, and he puts a piece, he, he peels off a piece of Energon Cube and <laughs> pops it in his mouth. Can we just spend a moment revisiting some of the wild inconsistencies as to how Transformers absorb energy in this series, how it changes episode to episode. Well, I'm just going to put out a theory there that, I mean, this is Energon and Energon is food. Mm -hmm. So it can be prepared different ways. Perhaps this is, <laughs> this is Quintesson Energon cubes. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Maybe Quintesson Energon cubes are more solid than liquid. So they have to be chewed up. Actually, that is a perfectly reasonable explanation. Thank you. You fixed it. Mm -hmm. As usual. <laughs> His reaction brings out the other Decepticons as we see some of the Constructicons rush out, as well as Dirge, Soundwave, Astrotrain, and Octane. Now you might be saying, Octane? Who's Octane? Well, he is our newest Decepticon triple changer, and we'll meet him soon enough. But for now, he's white, gray, purple, and navy blue. And just like everyone else, he's hungry. So, once again, animation, not great. So the characters are all drawn way out of proportion and actually look almost a little, like, chibi? A little bit? Like, their heads are a lot <laughs> bigger than they normally are. And the way they're all huddled around the Energon cubes, it looks like Decepticon Picnic. So I, I think this is going to be our next T-shirt is Cute Decepticon Picnic. I'm going to recreate this image for a T-shirt and just put like flowers around it. Cute Decepticon Picnic, Troop 611. 
<laughs> well, everyone has made a mad dash for the Energon, leading one of the Quintessons to exclaim, Very soon they will be ours again. Ours again? What does this mean? No time to find out as we're cutting back to the Autobots on Goo. The vacuum cleaner ship has its spotlight on Rodimus and is heading his way. Forget everything I ever told you about heroism! Run! But Rodimus doesn't look scared or concerned. He looks like a man with a plan. He dips his hand in the goo and is sucked up towards the machine. But he catches the side of it and manages to somehow bring the machine down into the sea of goo itself. <laughs> How did he do this exactly? I'd love to tell you. But to say the animation doesn't make it clear is an understatement. <laughs> and that's par for the course for season three. It looks like maybe he makes it so the goo is sucked into the air intakes instead of the vacuum port or something. Yeah. Bringing the ship down? I don't know. Don't think too hard, it's season three. It probably doesn't even make sense. But it must have been magnificent as Cup was impressed. I've seen a lot of brave Autobots do a lot of brave things in my time, but nothing like that. And then we find that their Quintesson prisoner is not only still here, but somehow he has all his faces back on. And he's a bit taken aback by what he's seen. This is impossible! You were never programmed for self-sacrifice! How would you know? And more importantly, how are we gonna get out of this mess? These are good questions, but for now, we go back to Char, where the Decepticons are enjoying an Energon Cube buffet. Are you ready to hear our proposition? We would be willing to keep you an Energon forever. Sounds too good to be true! <laughs> That means it probably is. What do we do for you? Take care of a nuisance. Destroy the Autobots. Come on, you gotta be kidding! We do that anyway! Look, how do we attack them on Cybertron? Their defenses are many times stronger than we are, no matter how much Energon you give us. This whole thing is starting to sound a little fishy, and Blitzwing calls it out. Uh, they lie! They want something more! We've met before, haven't we? I know you, or creatures like you. If only I could remember. So Blitzwing, of all characters, thinks these guys seem familiar. Interesting. Put a pin in that. But Dead End doesn't see the issue. Look! What have we got to lose? Futility surrounds us here! Yeah! I say we vote! Who votes to go along? Yeah! Who votes nay? Nay. Only Blitzwing votes nay. The Decepticon, known for zone defense, is the only <laughs> one to smell a rat. Now, I'm glad it wasn't Dirge, Ramjet, or Thrust. Yeah. But I think it would have been a lot cooler had it been Onslaught or Swindle, as they have a long history that we never got to expand on, that they could have worked in. But I could see how they wouldn't want to break up a combiner team. But anyway, the wiki presents an interesting original draft of this situation. Quote, tfwiki.net, 
An early story outline for this episode included Shockwave in the cast before an internal mm. Sunbow memo clarified that the character had been dropped and needed to be replaced with either a continuing or new character from the binder. So it sounds like this Blitzwing role was originally meant for Shockwave, which I think would have been very, very cool, and honestly would have made a lot more sense. But let's rejoin the voting process. The yeas have it! Then we have not a moment to spare. Board our ship! I told you, there was virtually no probability of their rejecting our offer. Their programs are not nearly so tainted as the Autobots. Boy, these Quintessons seem to know a lot about Transformers, huh? Hmm. Hmm. Also, when the scene begins as they're enjoying the buffet, as you described it, it's just this pan across all of the Decepticons with an Energon sandwich in their mouths. <laughs> There's all of these oh, all of these eating noises. And I got a problem with eating noises to begin with. It is not good ASMR to have the eating noises. And then like at all the as they're talking, they're all going like oh, practically belching into the microphone as they're eating this. I'm like, I got it. You're mashing the Energon in a moist cavity. I get it. That's gross. Why are you doing that? And to have it be these weird ACOM off-model Decepticons all doing it, too. <laughs> Just everything about this scene has bothered me since day one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, man... I just I keep going back to Microbots where they were like drinking it and like it made the cool sound effect that it just it, it wasn't gross it was animated really well but instead we get this side pan of a bunch of Decepticons sitting on the ground eating <laughs> Energon sandwiches like they're at camp. <laughs> My gosh, I I know they had to do it. I they had to do something and I and I like your explanation that Quintesson Energon cubes are a different consistency. Sure, but man, the scene bugs me. <laughs> Well, we cut away to Galvatron and his bunch returning to Char. Random sweep count? There's three now. And Galvatron can't believe what a dump this planet is. <laughs> In the background, you can see the Quintesson ship leaving as Galvatron and his gang descend. As the perspective changes, we're back up to five sweeps, though they're real off on their coloring. <laughs> yeah, they are. Oh my god. It's like there's like one sweep that's the right colors, then all the rest like, who are you now? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 not like, oh, they put the blue in the wrong spot. It's like, no, there's a brown sweep, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's like they took color schemes from completely different characters and applied them to the sweep model. So there's like yeah. a dirge colored one and a swindle colored one, and we're yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. Although I want to take that and flip that coin real fast because there is this nice shot when Galvatron is like, this is the planet where my Decepticons live. And if you look at that shot, it's a nice shot. It's got a good composition. He's drawn on model. It looks, you're looking at him at an unusual angle, so he looks kind of dramatic. That looks great. So they can do it. They can do it. It's not always Camp Decepticon <laughs> picnic party. <sighs> well, as he flies ahead, Galvatron's not seeing anyone. Well, where are they? You uh, pose an interesting question, my lord. And then they spot Blitzwing all by his lonesome and fly down to him. Galvatron! Blitzwing, my comrade! I thought the tales of your survival were but wishful thinking. No! I live! Where are the rest? Gone to battle the Autobots! Without me? 
Who leads them? Ancient creatures known as Who cares? I am the leader of the Decepticons. I am no other. Cyclonus sweeps Blitzwing. We shall slay the usurpers, reunite the Decepticons, and raise our empire once more! Attack! So I, I, I advise everybody to hit the back ten on this, on their podcatcher, and listen to that again. So like, can you hear Blitzwing when he's like, they lie, they want something more. He's totally in his Blitzwing zone defense voice. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, when the Quintessons go away, his personality shifts, and suddenly he gets like into the Sean Berger type of voice here. It's, and, and even the way he's talking to Galvatron, this ain't the Blitzwing we knew. And, and I think you're right. If this, w- if this would have been Shockwave, it would have made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm especially surprised because Flint Dilly co-wrote Prime Target, which featured Blitzwing being a dim-witted goof, <laughs> right, who springs the trap mm-hmm. and gets covered in that stuff, and he's going, <laughs> and Astrotrain's like, how do you get into these messes? Right, another comedy duo, right? So Flint Dilly's like, oh yeah, that's the guy who's gonna be like this noble character who like Galvatron <laughs> has respect for. I don't know. It, it, it's weird. Everything about this, even as a kid who didn't have like a ton of familiarity with Blitzwing as a character, it's like you said, we had like two episodes of them. But suddenly now he's like, ah, oh, Galvatron, my my liege. Okay. <laughs> oh, also. Can we talk about that final line that Galvatron says? Once again, everybody, hit the back 20 now. <laughs> he ends his speech with, Attack! And ever since I was a child, I always imagined like, all of the sweeps and cyclones just like, sort of jumping, like trying to look like they're fighting somebody, even though there's nobody there. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but usually that command has like an immediate target, not like... Right. <laughs> in, in the abstract, generally speaking, Attack! So that was weird. Raise our empire once more. You know, follow me, or off we go, up, up, and away. Attack? Wow. It, maybe maybe Galvatron just, like, before he leaves, he wants to wreck up the place a little bit. <laughs> That's how he says goodbye. He blows things up. Like Starscream saying goodbye to the Autobots in the Ark. Anyway, it's th- this whole scene is super weird. Well, then we cut back to Captain Fairborn radioing Blaster about her sensors picking up metallic objects expelled from Jupiter to its moon Io. She has a hunch that this is Blur and Wheelie, so off she goes to investigate. And Blaster whispers, but what about all those humans that are floating in outer space? She's like, what? I, I, I'm static. I can't hear you. It's a bad connection. I'm going to go save the Autobots. She was like, another EDC ship took care of them. Don't worry. It was, it was, it was off screen, but it I, happened. I'm much too high ranking to help those people. <laughs> I'm a captain. I sent a corporal out for those guys. <laughs> Then we cut away to that moon where Wheelie and Blur are resuming consciousness. And again, we're treated to that screwed up version of Wheelie's <laughs> voice. Wheelie okay? Blur, what do you say? I think I'm okay too, but exactly what does okay mean when you're stranded on an alien world? And as if on cue, strange little robotic creatures emerge from the craters of the moon. And they look hungry. Now this is probably bad news for our pair of Autobots. There's even more <laughs> terrible-sounding wheelie speak, but I'm not going to make you listen to it. <laughs> the wiki had a great comment about wheelie's mystery fill-in voice. Quote, The strained, high-pitched, whiny substitute used instead makes his usual voice sound like sweet music. <laughs> okay, sure. Well, I will say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on with my theory that wheelie sounds a lot like Wally. 
So <laughs> I wonder if Wally Burr was looking at the script going, oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what happened. <laughs> but we got to talk about this creature that comes out of the ground because, one, they literally use one drawing of the creature. They just, like, keep, like, they close up, they go far away, but it's, like, it, this is almost filmation-level kind of animation <laughs> where it's, like, we drew him once, we're done. We're not going to draw from another angle. Because, like, you see him come out, and, like, he just, like, sort of, like, slides up out of the hole. <laughs> like, they move the animation frame. It's not that bad, but it's, like, pretty close. But the design, it's not terrible. It looks a little funny. looks a little cartoony and kid-like for something that has been for the most part darker in tone with storytelling but it's glowing it's this red i would say sort of like chinese dragon meets fish thing meets crab glowing green <laughs> but then like like we got to show it's dangerous so they show like a drop of drool come out of his mouth and it hits the ground and it sizzles and it's like <laughs> okay that's not enough it picks up a pe- like a, like a, like an auto muffler off the ground. Where did it get it? I don't know. It was just like there's a muffler on the ground, and it puts it in its mouth, and the muffler melts in its mouth. It's like okay, well now we know it's dangerous. <laughs> but when it does this, it's just like that one arm just moves to its mouth and puts it in it, and then the thing melts. Like nothing else on the thing moves. <laughs> it's oh my gosh, it is it is. I know what it's meant to feel like. It doesn't feel like it. I guess <laughs> if I were to give if I were to be charitable, it feels dreamlike, but it doesn't feel <laughs> menacing. <laughs> <laughs> well then we cut back to goo where the autobots traipse through the sludge they concoct a plan to freeze the goo in order to let it get brittle and crack but before they can enact the plan the quintesson ship full of decepticons arrives and unloads its passengers they come out firing lasers at the stranded autobots while the quintessons pontificate Mark this moment well, for when the Decepticons eliminate the Autobots, they take the first step toward their own destruction as well. Laser fire rains down upon all the Autobots who aren't even budging and still aren't getting hit. I guess the Decepticons are really out of practice when it comes to shooting. (laughs) (sighs) and this ends part three more and more innuendo from the quintessons about having ties to both the autobots and the decepticons the decepticons are repowered but separated from their leader blur and wheelie are stranded on a moon of jupiter and rodimus and his bunch are getting shot at on goo lots of separate narratives seemingly about to all come together it feels like a very slow reveal I think you could have trimmed out most of this episode from the five-parter and maybe scaled things back to a three-parter. But we'll see. I'm not hating it, and there's some intriguing developments. But Jersey, how are you feeling about things? I, I think I agree with you in that this episode doesn't feel like it accomplishes much in terms of developing anything in the story. It mm-hmm. introduces a new character. We get Marissa Fairborn, and so we get and a little bit more about the Earth Defense Command, which really I don't think we got much about in the first two parts. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it feels very first draft in that Rodimus keeps being aggressively disconnected from the dignity of his office. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's pointing towards something. And this episode, because like especially at the end when he like stops the goo machine, and they, 
like you you described the animation really well like it, it just it's really confusing what happens there but it's clear that they were trying to show that this was dramatic because like when he's putting his hand in like the 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 machine to like direct the goo in there he makes a face that looks like he's in pain and then even afterwards when cup's like oh my gosh i can't believe he did that rodimus is like oh man i hope i never have to again it was meant to be a big thing he did there mm-hmm. which stands in direct contrast to how he's been behaving the entire episode but there's never been pushback on how he was behaving. I feel like we needed somebody to be like, gosh, Rodimus, are you ever going to act like a leader? You know, mm-hmm. you, you do have the Matrix. You know, I checked while you were sleeping. <laughs> that would be Ultra Magnus's line. <laughs> but th- there's never that. So we don't even get that pulled out, like made clear for us that that's what this, this particular chapter's journey is about. And I know somebody's going to be like, well, somebody's going to come at me and be like, well, Ultimate Doom, those individual pieces weren't about any one character's arc. Fair enough. But each one of them accomplished a significant amount of story. Story in the sense that either people were introduced or character relationships were reinforced or things happened. Ultimate Doom had a lot of stuff happen per episode. This one felt like we're kind of watching people float around in space for a while. And while we get these exotic locations... Like I said, structurally, I see what Flint Dilly is doing there, and I applaud it because I love that structure a lot. As a matter of fact, I'll spoil this. My next graphic novel come out in 2023. I follow that. I'm, I'm like aping it very decidedly and pointedly. I'm, I'm doing it on purpose because I think it's a, it's a lovely way to explore a story. But there, there isn't... It, it just feels like we're just watching some mild adventure. <laughs> yeah. if you, the, the, the thing on Goo isn't clear what happens there. The storm on Jupiter, it's really not clear what happens there. All we learn is that Galvatron is a much meaner, tougher version of Megatron and that the heroes are profoundly overmatched. Okay. We get a little bit more of the, the, of the Quintessons suggesting that they have a history with these characters that we have not seen before. But that too, they said it like, I think three times in this episode. It's like, we got it. We got it. There's more (laughs) here. You know, it's like the stuff that needs clarity doesn't have clarity. And the stuff that has clarity has too much clarity. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. So I feel like, yeah, the knobs need to be turned down on one side and up on the other. And this isn't to like, say like, Oh, what a bad piece of art. I'm critiquing this thing. And I, and sorry, Mr. Dilly, you failed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, it's because I do love it, and I love I love the uh, all the conceptual stuff that's in here. I, I really like everything conceptually and structurally. It just feels unfinished in some way, and I think that the fact that Wheelie has the weird voice that shows up, mm-hmm. Rodimus's dialogue changes actors a couple times, the animation just d- is incomprehensible when Rodimus is saving everybody on the planet Goo. All of that leads me to say like this thing feels rushed mm-hmm. and so it's it's hard for me this is not high on my list to go back and rewatch as much as i love the characters it's it's really tough for me i'm, I'm not going like oh let's see can i watch say you know fire in the sky fire on the mountain or by face of the darkness part three <laughs> <laughs> i'll watch fire on the mountain <laughs> not because it's gen- you know season one characters but the story just feels more developed if that makes sense but i I, you know i i also want to take a pass at this whole thing as an entire piece of art like a five-part story as a whole 
and evaluate it that way too because you know this could just be like it's a it's a laggy bit of storytelling in the middle of a, of a pretty good story because mm-hmm. once again i just keep underlining the fact that this just feels so transgressive and brave compared to what would happen today as a matter of fact you know as this is being recorded we got that new he-man show that just came out where they they took they changed the status quo in a very substantial way. I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but it, it supposedly ties into the filmation show. And people got mad. People mm-hmm. get mad. Don't change my thing, you know? <laughs> and it's like, see, that's, that's why. That's why. If you, you look at the reaction to He-Man Revelation, I'm not going to make any statement about whether or not it's a good piece of art, okay, everybody? That's not the point. The point is I'm saying they changed things in it. Thundercats, what was it called? Thundercats Roar, right? Mm-hmm. Look how people react to that. Don't change the thing. Well, look at this. They, they profoundly changed it, and we went along for the ride. So that, that's, that's worth investigating and looking at and, and being a little bit more let, less nitpicky about the, the, the dramatic failures of the animation. Like Shockwave shows up on screen, and he's colored like Devastator. <laughs> that really <laughs> happens in this episode. <laughs> Uh, that's not the point, right? Let's look at what they were trying to accomplish here and whatever kind of constraints that they faced at the time made it what it is. But anyway, so not a fan of this one as much. I liked, I, I thought episode one was kind of a drag. Episode two, it's like, oh, showing promise. Episode three is like, oh no, you're back. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe episode four will go a little bit better until we get to episode five. I don't know. We'll see. Well, obviously part four is next up. And as you can imagine, that's under Season 3, Episode 4 on Tubi. <laughs> Easy to find. Also, <laughs> if you got the DVDs, you got it there. If you got the VHSs, you got it there. If you bought it digitally, you got it there. There's so many ways to have it now. Look at the time of abundance we're living in. Remember, <laughs> everybody, those of us that were you know, the, the Gen Xers, remember when we thought we would never get to watch it again? Remember that? <laughs> That's wild. That is so distant from from the time we're living in now. We can watch it on our phones, on the subway. Holy cow. You know, (laughs) the the idea of, can you imagine if I went into like 1986, I said, hey, young Hoover, I've got a a Sony Watchman. Would you like it? You would think that I, you know, I just gave you the power of God. You can watch TV. You can watch Alf at school. (laughs) That's what you're doing now. (laughs) All right. So... Thank you, Hoover, for this discussion. And let me say to everybody, if you want to mash marshmallow textured Energon in a moist orifice and talk (laughs) aloud about negotiations with a potential enemy, go give us a review wherever you listen to us. Even if you even if you don't if you've already written a review on like say like Apple Podcasts or whatever. You know, you could write a review on Facebook. You could write a review on Twitter. You could just go to some place where people congregate and say, like, hey, I've been listening to this show. I think it's great. What do you like about it? Well, here's what you do. You just say, here's something I like that Jersey brings to the show. Here's something I like that Hoover brings to the show. And here's my favorite Transformer. Boom, you're done. You wrote three sentences, and you've helped boost the signal of this project. So more people will gather around it. We had a very kind message from a listener recently who said, I feel like every fan of the Gen 1 series should be listening to this podcast. First of all, thank you. That's very kind. And secondly, I'd say, well, if that's the truth, then help us get there by telling other people about <laughs> it, you know. And, and I'm not speaking directly to just that one fan because I know that they have been going out and, you know, really talking us up. And that's awesome. But I'm saying be like that person. That person is evoking the spirit of Chip Chase right over there. <laughs> Look at them. 
You know, they're pushing all their, their courage into their arms and typing into their keyboard saying this is why the <laughs> 4 million years later podcast is good. And thank you to everybody who has been doing that. It means a lot to us. So, Hoover, is there any other action activity that they can participate in that shows their support and love and admiration for this endeavor? You can have a look at our TeePublic site. That's at tpublic.com slash user slash 4 million years later. And there's a few funny designs there. They're all kind of old now, but hey, <laughs> the Transformer series is evergreen. Well, that's true. And there are people who are just connecting with the podcast now who are just mm -hmm. learning about Raul and Trax. Yes. <laughs> and they've been dying for a Sean Berger shirt all their <laughs> life. And now it so can happen. No fool. And there is an art exhibition on display in Columbus, Ohio right now called The Dog Show. And it's 100 years of cartoon dogs, <laughs> which my wife actually co-curated. And I went to one of the openings where they are having therapy dogs at the opening mm. of the exhibition. And they had chalk artists come and we were all invited to draw cartoon dogs all over the sidewalks around the museum. And guess what shirt I wore to this <laughs> event? Would it be the dog lunch shirt? <laughs> That's right. No one asked me about it, though. Nobody said, like, what's dog lunch mean? I was like, come on, somebody ask me. I guess I need an ask me button. But <laughs> to, to the extent of the tea public store, I think I'm serious about I think I need to make cute Decepticon picnic and recreate that image because it is so ridiculous to watch a bunch <laughs> of Decepticons sitting on their knees with, in front of a pile of energon and taking little pieces of it off, like they're ripping off pieces of cotton candy and stuffing it in their mouths. Oh, what a weird image. <laughs> okay, well, then, there's nothing left to say, except we record this show every two weeks right now. Drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers everywhere. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of rss.jdrozd.com for everything I make and 4millionyearslater.com for this thing. And I have been Hoover, noisily munching on solid energy. <laughs> okay, bye. Goodbye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 million years later and you can email us at 4 million years later at gmail.com visit 4 million years later.com and if you haven't yet please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts you know how it works <laughs>